0: Well, if you haven't been with us, we're we're in in the at the very end of a very short series called Faithful Presence, and this is the last sermon in that series. And we've been talking about how to uh, reach our culture, um, how to be a church that engages our community. And we always say that we want to be a church that is not only uh, here in Batesville, you know, our our address is in Batesville, but we want to be a church that is for the city, uh, for our friends and neighbors. Uh, We want to be a church that cares about people outside of the four walls of this building. How do we do that? Well, we've been using the language of faithful presence. Uh, One of the best ways that we could be a church, uh, that you could be a Christian for the community, is to just be a faithful presence. Right, You don't go out to the culture uh, you know, fighting, you know, wanting to take back the culture for Jesus, wanting to you know, win the culture wars, all guns blazing. You want to be a quiet, subtle, faithful presence, consistent, uh, loving for the community. And how do we do this? Well, we've said that we, if we're going to do this, we've got to be a community of hospitality. So in other words, we need to be a welcoming community. Uh, we also, uh, we saw last week, we need to be a, a, a community that is a, a community of neighbors. We want to love our neighbors here in Batesville. And today we're going to look at the last thing that we need to do to be a faithful presence, at least the last thing I'm going to talk about, is we want to be a community of public faith. <clears throat> if we're going to be a, f- a faith, I'm kind of sick today, if you can't tell. Um, if we're going to be a faithful presence, a, 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 a community that... Reaches our city, we need to go out speaking publicly about our faith. Uh, we need to evangelize, in other words. Now, I know as soon as I say that, I know that many of us are allergic to the idea of evangelizing, right? Going out and talking to people about your faith. And I always go back to that, a time where I lived in Dallas. Uh, and I remember I was doing an internship, and I was, uh, I was a pastoral intern. They were teaching me how to be a pastor. One of the things they had me do was go out on the streets of Dallas and talk to people that I didn't know about Jesus. And so one place they had us go was to the mall, and so we had to go to the mall. And we were doing a program called uh, Evangelism Explosion, where uh, you ask people about faith, and you engage them about faith. And one of the first questions of the program was, if you died tonight and you were standing before God, what would God say to you? Right, that's a that's a real a comfortable thing to do. Go to somebody that you've never met before and talk to them about their death. Right, And so uh, there we were, we're in the mall, and I, you know, I was, everybody else is sharing their faith, and I, I really didn't want to do this. But I worked up the courage, and I, and I went to this, uh, this girl that looked very non-threatening. And I came up to her, and I looked down at my notes, and I said, uh, If you were to die tonight, and if you stood before God, where would you go? And she got angry, she got livid, she blew up, she went straight to the mall police. And she told them what we were doing, and so uh, they, the, the mall police came to the our Christian group, they kicked us out of the mall, and they said you 're not allowed to proselytize here it 's not, it's not legal. you just can 't do that." And of course, I was humiliated, but the rest of the group, what did they do? They said, "Thank you, Lord, for this persecution." But right? they thought they were being persecuted for the faith. Uh, and that 's what I think of when I think about evangelism. And, and you know seriously, i 'm I'm, I'm still in counseling from that. <laughs> <laughs> from that experience. And I, and I went away from there never wanting to share my faith again, <laughs> never wanting to do it again. I was traumatized, as you can imagine. But listen, the, the Bible won't let us do this. The, the, the Bible will not let us out of the task of sharing our faith because Christian faith is a public claim. Right, The the most comfortable thing uh, for us to do and the most natural thing in our culture is to keep our faith private, right? You know, what are the two things you're not supposed to talk about at Thanksgiving? Politics and religion, right? You keep your religion private. It's good that you believe that. Please don't go out in public and share it with other people. Right, But the Bible says what we have is a public faith. And what's interesting is that in the first 200 years of, Christian, of Christianity, of Christian history, is that the way that Christianity spread was not through the religious, you know, professional clergy. It was through everybody, uh, you know, sharing their good news, sharing their faith. You know, all kinds of Christians, uh, the, the lady, the, the people that were not professional evangelists went out, and shared their faith with their friends. But the question is, how do we do this? How do we do this well? Okay, So the Bible wants us to evangelize. Uh, It is the call, right? It's the call of the Christian faith to go out and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. But how do we do this? How do we do it in a way that's not uh, unnecessarily offensive or insulting? How do we do it well? So I want to go to Luke chapter 10. And in this passage, Jesus sends out um, some people to evangelize. And so it begins, Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others to, to, and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So Jesus goes, sends people out, basically, to announce his coming, right? To announce his presence, to announce the gospel, and notice he doesn't send the 12 only. It says he, he called 72 others. Now, now, 72 is sort of a people look for symbolism in that number. Uh, hardly anybody is able to find it. Uh, what most commentators say is that these are just a random group of people. And the important thing to know is that these are people that are not professionals. These are just people. These were followers of Jesus that Jesus sends out to tell others about the faith, about the gospel. And what Jesus does here is he gives them instructions before they go. He says, I'm going to send you out to preach the gospel, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. And so this is a perfect place to help us understand how to share our faith well. Uh, Jesus instructs them on how to go, how to share, what to do. And so in the passage, I want us to see three uh, instructions that Jesus gives uh, that I think will also help help us as we share our faith. Okay, and so the three are this. I'm going to give them to you right up front. He says, I want you to go out. Go out, number one, with spiritual optim- optimism. Number two, go out with humble courage. And number three, go out with relational transparency. Three things uh, that will help us evangelize well. And so the first thing Jesus says, he says, I want you to go out with optimism, with spiritual optimism. And so he says, go out. And then he says uh, in verse 3, or in verse 2, he says, he says, I want you to go. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. And so Jesus sends them out with a little analogy. He says, I want you to picture a harvest Right? In, in another gospel, it says the harvest is white. Right? The, the grain is ready to be picked. He says, I'm sending you out, and I want you to know that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And what he's, what he's trying to give the disciples here is, is optimism about the response that they're going to get when they go out. Now, usually we think, like, nobody, nobody wants to hear the gospel, right? I'm going out, and, and most people are closed, and people don't want to hear the good news. Uh, you know, we live in a secular age where people don't really want to hear the gospel. But here's what Jesus says to them and to us. He says, I want you to know that the harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. What this means is that people are ready to respond. There, there is an abundance of people out there that are ready to hear about the gospel. Now, because we're not farmers, uh, let me kind of compare this to something else. Uh, many of us are not out there picking harvest, but probably a lot of us have gone blueberry picking. Anybody done that here in Arkansas? If you, yeah, Sam, a couple, three people, <laughs> uh, very effective analogy here. If you go at the beginning of the season, uh, what you're going to find is an abundant harvest, right? There are more blueberries than there are people to pick them, right? You go out there, and, and there, there, even if there's lots of people, you know, going around, there's just so many blueberries. They're falling off the, the bushes, and there's, there's more blueberries than there are laborers to pick those things. You go to the at the end of the season... Right? The blueberries are almost gone, and we've gone at, at this time before. And there's all these, you know, everybody's around trying to pick these things. There's almost a competition um, for blueberries. I remember I went picking one time, and I actually jumped for a blueberry, and somebody else jumped for it too. And we were wrestling in the dirt for a blueberry. And I'm just kidding. This didn't happen at all. Um, and it was weird even to say that. But uh, here, that's the picture there. Picture a blueberry harvest this is a weird illustration. Picture a blueberry harvest. There are more uh, of the fruit that need to be picked than there are laborers to pick them. This is the way it is as we go into the world with the gospel. Right? There, there are, we don't have a harvest problem. We have a labor problem. Right? The, the problem is not that there are not people out there that are willing and wanting to believe. The problem, Jesus says, is there's not enough laborers. There's not enough people willing to share their faith. And so he says, pray. And he says, don't primarily pray for people to be open and willing to receive the Gospels. What are we supposed to pray for? He says, pray that people will be willing to go out and share. Pray for laborers that are willing to go out and pick the harvest. Jesus is saying that people are open, people are willing to hear. The problem is there's not enough people who will share their faith. Uh, a couple of months ago, there was a guy that came here to speak. Uh, his name was Daniel Tyler. Do you remember him? He, was, uh, he grew up in a non-Christian home, and he uh, a single mom who was on drugs. He never heard the gospel. Grew up in, I like, think, Michigan or something, but he never heard, or Wisconsin. He never heard the gospel until he was in college. And he was, he was on drugs. He was in and out of correctional facilities. And somebody shared with him about the hope of the gospel. And he said, I'd never heard it before. And he says, I, after I believed in the gospel, I went to my friends at school and I said, how come you never told me? And they said, we didn't know you wanted to hear it. you know, We didn't know that you wanted to believe it. And so uh, he was shocked that people hadn't opened their mouth to share. There are more people that are willing to believe, than there are people willing to share. Do you believe that? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, I know that we live in a secular age, and an age where uh, it's increasingly harder for people to believe in the gospel, right? You know, we live in an age of science and of reason, post-enlightenment, and, uh, you know, we might think that, you know, people are less and less willing to believe or wanting to believe, right? We have science now. But I was reading a book by Charles Taylor called A Secular Age. And he says what's interesting is, is in our culture, he said there's almost a, uh, there's a shortage of meaning, right? There's, it's devoid of transcendence, our culture. And so it's almost like people are living now in a spiritual desert. And when you're living in a spiritual de- desert, you're more thirsty, Right? And so people are thirsty for transcendence. There's one a book by a, a novelist, his name is Juliet Barnes, and he begins to talk about faith. He's an, this guy's not a Christian. And at one point in the novel, the, the, the guy he pictures is praying. He says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And I wonder how many people there are in our culture where, that are, man, they're hungry for transcendence, they're hungry for God. And it's not something that's on offer in our secular age. And they're interested in spirituality and they they want to hear. And what Jesus is saying is pray that there would be people. Be a person, be a people who's who's willing to share the transcendence, the truth, the meaning that we have in the gospel. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a story in the book of Acts uh, of, a, of an Ethiopian eunuch. And this is a guy who's spiritually thirsty. He's from Ethiopia. He's a eunuch. He's a, a wealthy man. He's, he's a, somewhat, he's like the CFO of Ethiopia. But he finds the, a scroll of Isaiah, a piece of the Bible. And so he goes on this long journey to Jerusalem to find out more about this God, to get his questions answered. He goes to Jerusalem. Because he's a eunuch, they don't let him in to the temple. And so in the book of Acts, he's in the desert. He's on his way back from Jerusalem. And he's looking at the the scroll of Isaiah, saying, I don't get this. I want to understand it. And he's praying to God, I pray that there'd be somebody who will explain this to me. And then in that moment, this man named Philip, who's just this, this everyday Christian, comes running along the side of his chariot like this. And he puts himself out there and he says, Excuse me, I see that you're reading the Bible. Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian looks down at him. He says, well, yeah, I am. No, I don't. He invites him into his chariot, and then boom, the guy's converted. Philip was the answer to his prayer. And maybe there's somebody praying right now who's, who's open to the gospel, who wants to believe, who has questions, and maybe you're the answer to that person's prayer. If you would just open your mouth. And I know a lot of times we say, you know, there... I know that there's people out there but, but they don't they're not the type to believe. I you know they they're different they're not spiritual types like I am they they they're not the type to believe. Oh and you are? Right every conversion is a miracle. The Bible says nobody seeks after God naturally. Every conversion is a miracle. And there are people that God is working on right now and maybe you are the answer to their prayer. The harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. And so go out with optimism, spiritual optimism, that there are people all around you who may be just waiting for that conversation. So uh, not only that, but here's the second thing Jesus says. He says, I want you to go out with optimism. The the harvests are are, uh, plentiful. But he says, also go out with humble courage. Uh, Verse 3, he says, go your way. And behold, I am sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag or knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. So notice Jesus says, here's the second thing, I want you to go out with humble courage. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now this speaks about humility, a lamb. Now I know that when we hear the words lamb among wolves, we think about good people among bad people, right? The lambs are the innocent good people, and that's us. And the wolves, the big bad wolves, those are the non-Christians out there. And God sends us as innocent good people out to the big bad wolves. I don't think that's the point that Jesus is getting at here. I think a better way to understand it is that when he talks about lambs, he's talking about vulnerability. He's talking about humility. Notice he says, I want you to go out. He says, don't take any money uh, don't take a knapsack. Don't take a whole bunch of stuff with you. Don't go out with opulence. He says, go out with the bare minimum. Go out vulnerable, like a lamb. Go out with humility. And so that's the second thing Jesus wants us to know here, is that in order to be effective at evangelism, you've got to be a lamb. You've got to be somebody that's humble. Jesus doesn't send them out as sharks. Sharks. Right to go gobble people up. He doesn't send them out as wolves right, to go fight the other wolves. He says, I'm sending you out as humble, meek, vulnerable lambs. Go out with humility. Right, when you talk to people about the gospel, right, don't go out with, with arrogance. Don't go out with, like, hey, I know it all. I'm going to teach you a lesson. Right, don't go out with, I'm right and you're wrong. Go out with humble, the way we Christians relate to power is that we use power to serve and to love. You go out as lambs, and the way you speak the gospel is in is it within, with a posture of humility and openness right you 're not a non threatening presence when you go out to talk to people there 's this great story by eugene Peterson Eugene Peterson he recently died he wrote, he wrote the translation. Uh, of the Bible called The Message. He was a really neat pastor, but he tells the story of his first opportunity to evangelize. And he said that he grew up in a very uh, conservative Christian home, and he thought about you know, non-Christians as sort of the big bad wolves out there. You know? And so uh, he, t- he tells the story. This is the story of his first convert. He said, I had been, I'd be, I'd been prepared for the wider world of neighborhood and school by memorizing, bless those who persecute you. And turn the other cheek. I don't know how Garrison Johns knew that about me. Some sixth sense bullies have, I suppose. Most afternoons after school, he would catch me and beat me up. He also found out I was a Christian and taunted me with Jesus sissy. Right? So here's this Garrison Johns, you know, this bully at school who's taunting him, calling him Jesus sissy. I arrived home most days bruised and humiliated. My mother told me this had always been the way of Christians in the world and that I had better get used to it. She also said I was supposed to pray for him. One day I was with seven or eight friends when Garrison caught up with us in in the afternoon and started jabbing me. That's when it happened. Something snapped. For a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. And he was helpless at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fist. It felt good. I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose, a a lovely crimson in the snow. I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood. Then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, Say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood. I tried again. Say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. <laughs> right? This is, this is, if you know Eugene Peterson, Peterson, this is hilarious. He's such a meek, quiet guy. But, but this is not the way we go out. With arrogance. I'm going to argue with you until you see that you're wrong. Right? I'm going to manipulate you and coerce you to believe. Rather, we go out with humility. There's a, there's a movie called The Big Kahuna. Anybody seen that one? Uh, uh, Kevin Spacey uh, is stars in the movie, and it's the story of these sales these salesmen at a conference, and they're like these sharks, you know, they pressure people to, uh, you know, buy their product, and and their task is to go to this big conference and to get as many sales as possible. Well, they have this young guy who's with them, and they're making sales, and uh, the young guy is a Christian, and he gets in this conversation with the guy, and he pressures him to convert. And the guy converts, and uh, he, he actually forgets about selling the product. And so they go back to the hotel room, and they're like, did you sell the product? He says, no, I sold Jesus, and the guy converted. And the, Kevin Spacey and the other guy is so upset and angry. And at one point, Kevin Spacey says, when you talk to people about Jesus, it's like you're selling a product. It's like a pyramid scheme. You're just trying to put a notch on your belt. And there are too many Christians who have done that. Rather, we talk to people with humility. Jesus says, I send you out as lambs, right? With no money, with vulnerability and meekness. Well, somebody says, how do I do this? How do I share with humility? Well, uh, Tim Keller has some ideas. He says, when sharing your faith, there's a few little suggestions that'll uh, come up on the screen here. This is how you might do it with humility. Um, I think it's gonna come up. Bullet points, here they are. Um, you could ask questions and do not make statements, right? So instead of just going out and asserting with people what you believe, ask them questions. What do you believe? How do you understand it? How do you make sense of your life? Maybe you could ask questions. Another thing you could do is seek to understand before you seek to condemn. So instead of going out and saying, you're wrong and I think you, know, you ought to change, maybe seek to understand you know, what's going on in your life. Why do you make the choices that you do? Um, just, you know, listen to people. That's a really good skill. Uh, make people feel safe. Invite their questions. Right? You, you can say, look, I'm not afraid of your questions. I, I know that some of this stuff is hard to believe. Invite their questions. What do you struggle with? I, I really want to know. Here's another thing you can do. Respect their doubts and difficulties. Right? Respect is a really good uh, tool for Humility. Right? You don't, you don't disdain somebody for having doubts. You try to understand it and you respect it. Right? People f- are coming from a lot of different places. Anticipate their struggles. Right? Know that, that there are things that make it hard to believe. Suff- people have gone through hard things. Anticipate their struggles. Is there any uh, other ones up there? I think there's a quote by Tim Keller that I've got that's going to come up. Um, he says, First, Ensuring your faith, take an intelligent approach, not an authoritarian one. Remember what it is like not to believe. And do not expect people to believe simply by being told what is true. People want to know why. And in another place, Tim Keller says, Bad evangelism says, I'm right, you're wrong, I would love to tell you about it. Right, so how do we go out? We go out humbly. We go out as good listeners. We go out trying to understand where people are coming from. What is their context? What are their struggles? And don't go out as a know-it-all. Say, you know, sometimes you know, I don't understand some of this stuff either. And some of this stuff for me is hard to believe. And I don't have all the answers. Right? This is humble orthodoxy. It's going out with humility. And so Jesus says, Here, here's how I want you to go. All of us are called to go. All of us are called to be public with our faith. I know that it's hard. I struggle with it too. How do we do it? Well, he says, first, I want you to go out with, with optimism. Right? The harvest is white. Even in our secular age, there are people that are spiritually thirsty. Number two, go out as, with, with humble courage. Right? You go out as a lamb among wolves. Uh, th- and that doesn't mean that we're innocent and, and the, the wolves are bad. It means that we go out humbly with vulnerability and transparency, and yet we also go out with courage. You know, you got to put yourself out there, which is hard to do. But then finally, Jesus gives us a third little uh, lesson. He says, go out with transparent relationship. And so he goes on in verse 4. He says, carry no money bag or knapsack, no sandals, uh, and greet uh, no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go, or, or do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a house, uh, when they receive you, eat whatever is set before you. We'll stop there. Go out with transparent relationship. What's interesting about the passage, I think, is it says when you're on the road, don't talk to anybody. When you're on the street, don't evangelize. Street evangelism. He says, don't do it. Now, I'm not saying that, that you should never do street evangelism. Jesus, at times, went out on the streets and pu- spoke publicly. But Jesus here says, that is not the main way. Where do, if, you're not, if you don't go to the street, where are you supposed to go? He says, go to people's houses. He says the, the Greek word here is the oikos. Go to the oikos. Go to people's homes. You know, find people of peace and invite yourself in. Eat with people. Talk to people in their homes. Talk to people uh, after you've already had relationship with them. So the Greek word here, when it says enter their homes, like I said, it's the Greek word oikos. And, uh, you know, when we think oikos or home, we think of nuclear fam- family, right? You know, uh, just a, a family. But in this day and age, the oikos was like a huge amount of people. It was your nuclear family, your extended family, your, you know, your kinship network, your friends, people that worked for you and with you. These were all people in your oikos. And what Jesus says is, is go into the oikos. Go and make relationships with people. As we talked about the first week, the gospel comes with a house key, right? The gospel comes in the context of relationship. The primary way is not to, to leave a track at a restaurant, a gospel track, along with a small tip, right? The, the, the way the gospel is not to throw out gospel bombs, you know, on the street to people you, that you've never met before in the mall or something like that. That's not the primary way. Go to your oikos. Go to the homes, Go, you know, get in relationship with people. Now, who is your oikos in, in your life? Well, well think, about, think about, you know, your, your geographical neighbors, right? The people that live in your home, the people that live next to you in your neighborhood. Think about people that work with you, your colleagues, the people at work, your associates, uh, think about your, like, you know, your extended kinship networks. Think about your, your friendships that, that you've made in the community. Jesus, I think, here is saying the primary method of evangelism is to get in relationships and make friends with people outside the faith. And it's not necessarily friendship evangelism, where you make fr- friends with somebody in order to share the faith with them. I think it's talking about friendship full stop. Right? Meet people in the community. Don't just fraternize and get to know people inside the church. Get to know people in the community center you know, when you're working out. Get to know people who are, who are hiking or whatever you like to do. Just make friends with people that don't share your same beliefs, that don't share your faith. And then in that relationship, just be honest about who you are. Right, don't hide your faith in that in that friendship, and isn't that what true friendship is? You get to know some somebody, and you don't hide who you are. You're honest about who you are, and part of who you are is your faith. And so you get to know people, and you share your faith with them, and you live out the gospel in context, in in relationship with them. So in the first century, uh, Christians were known for being different, and so uh, you know one of the things they were known for is being people of integrity. Uh, being honest and fair in their dealings with people, you know if you 're a boss, you know you treat people well, generosity, sharing your financial goods with other people uh, Christians were known for hospitality, right opening their homes to others and being generous with their with their with their uh, personal space. They were known for sympathy or being um, uh, compassionate people they were known for ch- for chastity uh, you know Uh, super-duper consensual sex, right? You know, having sex only with people that you're in covenant marriage with. They were known for handling their adversity differently. And so what a Christian did in the first century in order to be effective at evangelism is is you live out the Christian values in the context of relationship, right? If you're not different, there's going to be no conversion in your oikos, in your in your family, in your your household, with your friends. You've got to be friends, and you've got to be different. right? You don't look at people as evangelism cases, people we relate to and talk to and care for only in order to win them over to our side. We love them, and we're for them, and we're willing to get to know them even if they don't agree with us. And even if they don't convert, we're still their friends. And maybe in the context of that, of that situation, people will be willing and be open to ask you questions and to receive your faith. So, uh, public faith, how do we do it? Number one, we do it optimistically, we do it humbly, and number three, we do it relationally. And so uh, let me end just by you know, asking the question, are you public about your faith? Right? There are people in your life Uh, And hopefully there are people in your life that don't believe like you do. Are you open with your faith, uh, about your faith with them? Are you sharing your faith? Are you public about it? Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way. Public faith is about authentic relationships and getting out of our own social and spiritual comfort zones. Ultimately, public faith is trusting the Holy Spirit to do the evangelistic work through us in our relationships. While many of us identify as as secluded or private, our prayer and desire is that we all become more public with our faith. One of the best ways to do this, finally, is by believing the gospel yourself. You know, have you ever uh, gone to a restaurant that you love you know, you you just love the food, you just love the service or whatever, you become an evangelist for that restaurant, right? You had a great experience and so you want to share about it, right? Or have you ever known a person that you just love and you can't wait to introduce that person to somebody that you don't know? Or, right, you're excited to share about that person. Or maybe you watch a sunset or, or you experience some beautiful piece of music. You want to share beauty, And so, one of the best ways to be public about your faith is is to allow the gospel to transform you personally. John Stott puts it this way nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, and ties the tongue like the secret poverty of our spiritual experience. Right? If we're not experiencing the gospel, it becomes hard to share it with others. Do you know the joy that comes from knowing Jesus? Do you know what it's like to get a brand new identity? Do you know what it's like personally to experience meaning and purpose? When you experience that, it becomes natural to share that with others. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for this passage that, that's very instructive about sharing faith. I pray that you would help us, Lord, um, as, we, as we're as we in this community, uh, this community uh, in Batesville, uh, God, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to to love people. Help us, Lord, to uh, be hospitable. Help us, Lord, to um, be kind to people that maybe are on the other side of the political aisle or have a different faith uh, than us. But God, we pray you'd also help us, God, to go out there and make friends with people that are maybe not in a church, people that don't share our beliefs. Help us, Lord, uh, to to make real, genuine friendships And God, we pray that you'd open the door for us to humbly and boldly, uh, hopefully and joyfully share our faith with other people. God, I pray that you'd use us uh, to spread the good news that Jesus Christ has given himself uh, sacrificially uh, so so that all of us might live. God, this is really good news. And I pray that you would help us to be so uh, uh, shocked and amazed by what you've done for us that we become excited to share the same good news with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.